Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Clap Your Hands, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And Kyle, brought to you by one of the most impressive wins, honestly, that I can remember from the Sixers in a really long time. I'd have to think maybe back to like the 01 finals run, which maybe feels perfect for describing this win. But, you know, just an unbelievable performance. I think that when you look at this series, you know, some games showed that Harden was special. Some games showed that Embiid was special. This game showed you this team is just really, really, really good. Just really good. They dominated this game. They went into a hostile environment, or at least a environment that was supposed to be hostile. And they controlled that game from the beginning till the end. Just what an impressive win by the Sixers. Yeah, so... We talked last podcast and you asked me, you know, what I was taking away going into game five, sort of what it all meant. And my message to you was mostly like none of it means anything because both these teams are so bipolar and they swing back and forth. And, you know, it was just as likely we're going to get a Celtics haymaker as we were going to get what Boston offered tonight, which was a bad performance and a great Sixers performance. And, Look, I just think all the the things we've talked about all season long, right? Like, Joel Embiid was great tonight and was great in a way that it wasn't his most efficient performance, certainly, but he was relentless and he kept coming. And physically, Boston felt him all night. He got to the free throw line a ton in the first half as the chips are down. Tyrese Maxey, who has been just horrible against this team over mm-hmm. and over again, 
big step up performance from him in this one. Like unbelievable game from him. They figured th- some things out schematically, how to use him, how to take best advantage of his skills with Boston loading up against James Harden and Joel in the pick and roll. Tobias Harris has a, a step up game. James honestly is the quietest guy probably yeah. in the starting lineup, honestly. And so to come off of that last game and two wins in the series that James had to carry you and James just kind of has a normal point guard spread the ball around game and you win going away. That was an awesome, an awesome, awesome win. And it's by far the best win of the Joel Embiid era. Like I don't even think there's a close second. Well, first, shout out to everyone that's in the chat right now. I know a lot of excited Sixers fans out there. Michael's in the chat, uh, Dirty Phil. We got a bunch of people in there. So thank you guys for tuning in live. Um, Our producer, James, would kill me if I didn't say it. Make sure you download the Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that (laughs) auto download. You know, hey, we got got bills to pay around here too. But it's funny you mentioned Harden. And I do want to get into him. I think we should probably lead with Embiid, but really quick. It's funny. I feel like now um, I saw a really great a great tweet today that said James Harden's outfit have turned Sixers fans into like judge the runway models uh, because every <laughs> every single time what he wears basically dictates how fans feel. And it's funny his outfit today was like exactly for his game, like just wild enough with the slippers that you would think, okay, he's gonna have a great game. And I thought today what was impressive about this and really it was a complete team win. You didn't need Harden to be 42-point Harden. You didn't need him to be carry the offense for stretches. You needed him to be really what he does so well that a lot of other these a lot of these other great players we talk about, like a Dame Lillard, a Bradley Beal, don't do. He just managed that game. Like he ran the offense. He was smart with the ball for the most part of it. He kept the team under control. So I was impressed with Harden, but you mentioned it, and it's just absolutely true. This was the best win of the Joel Embiid era. This was his signature playoff moment. He has had other moments, right? Like big wins against the Raptors. They ultimately lost that series. And clearly the series is not over yet. So this is not the full celebratory pod. But I tweeted today that I thought this was the biggest game of Joel's career when you consider at Boston, 2-2, right? Coming off the kind of sketchy ending for the game. And man, he was just unbelievable. He was in complete control. He hit mid-range jumper after mid-range jumper when they needed him. He attacked down low early on, went right at Al Horford. He had four blocks. I really feel like he should have been credited with five. At least that's what ESPN has him with four. But he was everything everybody's wanted to see from him in these big, big spots. He wasn't afraid of the moment. He didn't have moments where he looked checked out. He was the MVP, best player of the league, the best player the Sixers needed, in that spot, it was just incredibly impressive what he did. I just think you saw a moment or a point in the game in the first half where he looked at, you know, Grant Williams and Al Horford standing in front of him and just said, you know, fuck that guy. Like, he's not <laughs> stopping me. Yeah, I'm going to get to the rim. You're going to foul me. If you're going to reach in, I'm going to get two free throws. I'm going to make two free throws. I, I want to say he started like nine and nine or mm-hmm. eight and nine or something close to that from the free throw line. And I just think mentally it was what I wanted to see from him. Like yeah. we all know how skilled he is and him and Harden just torturing Al Horford in the pick and roll. We know he can make open elbow jumpers, but I thought setting that tone in you know the first half, mostly in the second quarter, first and second quarter, and then kind of, you know, easing his way and playing like a team centric game. I think 
everybody always follows him on this team when he comes out like that. And this is a game, you know, we're used to the Sixers blowing big leads over the years, at least fans mm. are, and have a, a, a bit of PTSD about it. This, for me, was never a game where it felt like Boston was in it. Like, the whole way, it just felt like the Sixers controlled it. And so to your point with Harden, I think a lot of the good things that happened for the Sixers in that game were a direct product of how Boston tried to play Harden and how they had to defend him and Joel in the middle of the floor. They were really selling out to try to slow Harden down because they saw you put Horford on an island against him, they're screwed. Like Mm -hmm. James is going to beat him. And once he beats him, that's either he can score at the rim or he can find a guy for an open three. So once Boston starts committing more bodies, well, then you can swing the ball to Tyrese Maxey. He's going to have an open lane to the hoop with, you know, little to no rim protection there at the rim and he can score there. And then obviously he got going as a shooter and that was the biggest thing, but it is an example of a game where look, the stat line was not overwhelming. This was closer to, you know, game three where we're all like, Oh, the sky is falling. Harden wasn't that good. Blah, blah, blah. Um, But the stat line doesn't tell you anything close to what the full story was. I thought this was a great point guard game in a way that some of these others have not been. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I think he just had complete control of the game. And it's it's funny you mentioned how this team really mimics Joel Embiid, right? I think, you know, obviously you cover all these games, you know, like when Joel is feeling it, you can see it rub off on the team. And when he's not right until they got PJ Tucker, that's when the collapse has happened. But I'm curious for your opinion on this, because something I see when I look at this team right now is they are playing with so much confidence. Like Embiid has a ton of confidence. Harden has confidence. Maxi had his has his confidence back. You look at beginning the beginning parts of this game, and I think four of the five starters were in double digits, like maybe midway through the second quarter. Everybody was playing well. And I really keep thinking back to the end of game four and them almost blowing it. Marcus Smart missing shots, right? Al Horford missing a shot. The PJ and one, the moment he yelled at Embiid. It felt like with that off their chest and that that pressure off their back and knowing they didn't blow that, 
you saw a carefree, confident team play tonight. And when they play that way, it's like I started the pod. They're extremely good. Like leading up to the, the playoffs and leading up to the start of the Brooklyn series, we talked about could they be a championship contender. And you listed all the things that it takes to be a champion. And you saw those all tonight. Great defense from Joel, right? Their offense looked really good. They shot well from three. They have an MVP caliber player. And I thought Doc coached a good game for the most part. There's always going to be moments where I'm a little worried when Joel's sitting maybe a little longer than I think he should, or he goes to the all bench lineups with Harden. But overall, this team was uh, firing on all cylinders tonight. And I think that the confidence that you see from them, it, it, it looks like it's going to be inc incredibly like contagious. Like I think on Thursday night, they're going to come out ready to go for, for this thing. Well, so I want to tie that into the Miami Heat coach, Eric Spolstra over the weekend said, you know, so Miami's up three to one in their series against the Knicks. And he made a comment essentially saying, you know, this series and our run right now is why the regular season does matter as much mm -hmm. as people want to throw it away. Like, yeah, our record was this and we struggled at this and X, Y, Z, but we're building habits so that we're, and we're trying new things. We're changing styles. We're bringing guys in and out of the rotation so that when these moments come, we're not phased by this. We can bring guys in and out and we can rely on a different guy and we can adapt. And that's what you and I stress so much throughout the year. Like, yeah, beating Nikola Jokic on national TV was more for MVP mm -hmm. purposes and stuff. And it's only one game in the standings. But those big comebacks, these big wins against elite comp, you build that well of trust and belief in one another where – you can get through tough moments and you can come into a road game five in, you know, Boston is one of the best NBA cities there is. Like, obviously, all the success there has bred like tons of basketball fans. The passion yeah. is there. They expect to win. They show up to the arena and they expect the Celtics are going to win. And they you know they boo and cheer accordingly to go into that type of environment and basically shut them down, the team and the fans from minute one of that game is one of the most impressive things they've done during this era. It's clearly the best win. And I think it's just the accumulation of all these things they've done throughout the year, going back to adding PJ Tucker, adding DeAnthony Melton, adding Daniel House Jr., who is out of the rotation the mm -hmm. entire playoffs other than like end of quarter situations. But Doc had kept him alive in the rotation at the end of the year just to say, look, we might need this guy in the playoffs. He plays a pretty big role on Tuesday night and, and makes a positive impact on the game. Like, that's what contenders do. They can bring guys out of cold storage and say, you're playing tonight. And not only are you playing, you're going to play well. And that's the expectation for this entire group. And yeah, you're right. All season, they built up this mentality. Like this is where they build it. But I thought what also stood out tonight was they looked so much more calm and so much more in control than Boston did. Boston looked shook to start that game. Now, I will say one thing that kept me all game. So they won the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and they were up 16 heading into the fourth. And I still felt like they were a six point run away from, oh my God, they're going to blow this game. But I, but like, Boston missed a lot of shots right at the rim. There were so many, so many moments tonight where it kind of felt like a run was coming and a, and a shot from either Al Horford or a lot of free throws it felt like they missed, just rimmed out, right? Rimmed out. And there were so many of those moments. And those moments are starting to pile up. Like, I remember the Eagles championship run in 2017. 
you know, you, you think about the the uh, the Philly special and all those moments. But early on, it was the ball bouncing off Keanu's knee. It was uh, Keanu Neal's knee. It was the Julio Combined Jones a few play. words there. <laughs> I know I did. Well, it's late. You know, I'm, I still have the adrenaline going. I feel you. It, it was the Julio Jones almost catching the in the end zone. It was you know Chris Long hitting K, uh, Casey Keenum to create those interceptions. Like at the end of the day, you have to have things go your way. And tonight, look, like they outplayed the Celtics. They played better and they deserve this win in every sense of the word. But also like seeing all these rim, all these shots that I'm so used to seeing go in from the other team, it is, it does continue to build that feeling up inside of me that something special is happening with this team. Well, and you brought up Horford's name. I got to say, I know I've said it on the <laughs> podcast a few times. That guy is fucking cooked. Like if he yeah. is not making threes, he is so useless and, you can see it in Boston's defense when he has to defend in space is just absolutely falling apart right now. I think you still see the problems that he can cause for Joel just because he's he knows him inside and out. They've battled so many times. And even still, like Joel is clearly winning that battle if you're talking about the in the aggregate over the mm -hmm. big picture. But in terms of like what he can do against, you know, James in space, against Tyrese in space, like Atlanta did it the entire last series. It's why a pretty bad Atlanta team was able to push uh, Boston to six games. The Sixers need to just keep going at that guy because yeah. he has no answer for anybody that's like six five, six six and under and can dribble a basketball. I would probably say you've got a good chance to score on Al Horford right now. Maybe this is my chance to score a basket in the NBA right now. Just get in there and uh, get go up against Horford. But another Embiid thing, you know, tonight they brought it up on the broadcast. He had a, a sleeve on his knee instead of a uh, one of those hefty braces. And it was the first time I thought of his knee when they mentioned that. He is moving incredible out there. Like the days, yeah. of, the days of leading up to this series and after game one and me sitting in the office looking at different videos of how he landed in a shoot around today compared to how he did it last year. And was he landing on this for it? It seems like he's completely healthy. And early on in the series, you know, after game two, where I think he ended up with 15 points, didn't shoot a ton. He looked great on defense. And that was the encouraging sign. Okay. Physically he's looking good on defense, but each game he has looked better and better on offense. And I think that's for two reasons. One, he's getting his stamina back a little is part of it. Two, he's just getting used to playing with it. But three, I think they're also just getting used to getting him back out on the court after missing him for two games. But physically, he looks fine. Like he looks, you know, knock on wood, like cross your fingers, everything. He looks like he's not even injured out there. By the way, uh, Pastor Timothy in the chat says the Sixers are now favored on most yeah. betting sites to win the NBA championship. It wow. is a reflection of what we have said on this podcast many times. Like the, the real deal contenders, the people who or the teams that everyone thinks they're going to come out of this at, on top. We're basically all in the East and maybe yeah. it's just a reflection of the West is kind of in flux and chaotic right now. Denver Phoenix has gone back and forth. Who knows what to make of the Lakers who basically came together at the trade deadline <laughs> essentially. Uh, but, but look, man, this is all right there in front of them. And it does put this extra importance obviously on Game six, because Boston yeah. was in this exact scenario last year. Milwaukee beat them. Looks like the season is over, essentially. They win a really tough game six on the road and then come back and steamroll the Bucks 
in game seven. Mm -hmm. So this is not an opportunity you can take lightly. Like we can sit and point to the statistics and say 82% of teams win after winning game five in a two, two series. We all know that doesn't mean anything in this instance. Like this can flip at a moment's notice. And so all the stuff we're seeing, the Horford struggles in space. Joel being able to, you know, get to the free throw line and looking healthier and all that. Maxi finally having this big game and looking closer to the Maxi that we see against, you know, 28 other teams in the mm-hmm. NBA rather than the Celtics. Yeah. That's a big deal. Ultimately, what it comes down to is you have a chance to end Boston season and kill their spirit on Thursday night. That crowd's going to be going crazy again because, you know, we've seen. The MVP ramp up was big time. I think this is going to be just as much energy as we got the MVP night. Cause now the full belief of the city is behind them. It's look, they just won the toughest game. They're going to have to play in this series. If they take care of business. Yeah. If they can come out first quarter of game six and just deliver a haymaker, Boston could very well fold. Cause I, you know, I haven't seen a ton of pushback from their top guys, especially not in that game. Yeah, and look, I I think the Boston will definitely fold to an extent. I don't think they're a super well-coached team. It's something throughout the year you've said at the end of games. Like, Joe Mazzulla does not really have a lineup he trusts. And I just, they don't seem like a a, a well-coached team. But something I've heard over the last few days when Sixers fans have said, okay, why do the Sixers have a chance to win win this series? And it's, well, Boston's not as good as people think. And we could have a long discussion about that. But I think, like, to... I think quickly what I would say is Boston is a good team. The Sixers are just also a very good team. Like if, if Boston was playing Miami or New York or, you know, who knows if Milwaukee advanced, right? Who knows if Boston looks like this? So I think when you have what are probably the two best team remaining in the M, the two best teams in the playoffs remaining, when the Sixers look bad, it's not because they're a trash team that's frauds that you can never believe in. Boston's a good team. And when Boston looks good, it's not because, well, the Sixers are going to beat them because, hey, Boston's not as good as everyone thought and blah, 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 blah. No, the Sixers are beating a really good team. And when the Sixers play well, they make them not look like the team that we saw all year with Boston. So if the Sixers do close this out on Saturday, and they're still far away away it's from Thursday, Dylan, by the way, not sorry, Saturday. Thursday. <laughs> That's good to know. So I didn't, you know, sit around. But if the Sixers do close this out on Thursday, this is not going to be some like, well, Boston didn't play that well and the Sixers got lucky. No, they will have beaten a really, really good Boston team to get past it, but still a long way to go. They do still have to uh, have to win one more game. And when you're, you know, when you're in these moments, right? Like when the Eagles couldn't get out the NFC championship for a few years, like, yes, those moments come where you pass that and you pass that, that goal, but the end's always the toughest part too. You know, like even if they come out and they have a haymaker and they're up 15 or whatever, that building is also going to be as crazy as it is, extremely tense. Like you, you've been in those arenas with the Sixers, you know, like those buildings go from, oh my God, the Sixers are playing great to, oh my God, they're going to blow this thing again. So Thursday night is going to be an emotional wreck. Or what does Doc call it? Emotional terrorism. Emotional terrorism. Like, yeah. That is what Thursday night is going to feel like. So I, I want to circle back to what you said about, you know, the Sixers just being a very good team and being capable of making Boston look bad rather than mm-hmm. Boston being overrated or whatever. I think one of the biggest things that people should pay attention to in this series is not even necessarily Joel's blocked shots. It's the shots that Boston won't take or the yeah. bad shots that they do take 
because he's there. I mean, go down the list of guys. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon. Every single one of these guys has gotten to the paint at one point, thought they had a good shot, saw Joel, and either got rid of the ball, stopped dead in their tracks, or took a ridiculous off-balance shot that had no chance of going Mm. in. And that's the difference that he makes. Like, yes, the block shots are great. Those can send them running the other way, just the same as a a turnover or whatever else happens when he challenges these shots. The important thing to note is just that by him just being out there on the floor, he could be seven for 25 from the field. He could be having an awful offensive game. The second that he's in the game and near the pain on defense, the whole court changes for Boston and where they can get to what they can do offensively is distorted because of this guy. And it's, you know, we've had this conversation as it relates to MVP. It's why when you're looking at who the most valuable guy in the league is, you have to take that into consideration. Like he can alter a game and alter an entire series where he's not even playing his best ball on offense because he is a just destructive force at the rim on defense. And you can see that you saw that big time in game five. It has not been, you know, wire to wire. Certainly, as you've already said, the fatigue has been a factor at times, but is, you know, less and less as the series goes on. But that's why I have, I think at this point or all year, finally think that he's at the level of that guy can be the best player on a, a title winning team because NBA's leading scorer, all that stuff's obvious. We've known he's been a great defensive player for so long, but in this spot with an injured knee coming back after a two week layoff to still be able to have that level of defensive impact. That's, that's something that people really shouldn't take for granted. There was a moment in the game today and look, they were probably up like 10 plus points, you know, or if not 14 plus when it happened, because it felt like they, they were for the majority of that game, but Embiid has a turnover. I think the ball like dribbled off his foot. Maybe it didn't go out of bounds. He had two in a row at one point where I was a little like, all right, like let's, let's get this together. But he had something bad happen on the offensive end. Um, I forget who, who was running for the lamp. It might've been Marcus Smart, but he's going down the court. Joel sprints all the way down. Jalen Brown is the It was Jalen Brown. About. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Jalen Brown and bead sprints all the way down the court comes up, blocks him from behind. And I thought it was such a perfect example of like where this guy is at right now. To your point, first of all, Jokic would have broken every bone in his body if he tried to make that block. And he also would have never gotten down the court in time. I don't or think tried. he would have crossed half court. No, he would have been flopping like, you know, all, all around the other side. But the block itself, I think, was such a perfect encapsulate, encapsulation of where Embiid is at right now. Like his team is winning game five. They're up with double digits. The Celtics are the team that's supposed to be like, our season's on the line and they're supposed to be the hustle team. They're the one that has Mr. Hustle player of the year, year Marcus Smart, who, by the way, gets away with literally everything. Like he flops, he gets the calls. He smacks Joel in the arm, he gets the call. Like he gets away with so many calls. But that aside, Joel goes and he, and he has that block. And if you think about where Joel was to where PJ yelled at him to where he is now, it's unbelievable how much these last five quarters have meant to Joel from the overtime to these four quarters of how much things have changed. When you watch Joel, like, what do you see right now? Like, how big do you think tonight was for him? Massive. I mean, look, I I think you brought up the brace thing earlier. I think, and this is going to sound stupid. I almost think that that's like, 
set aside the physical part of it. I think that's almost a sign of like Joel just saying, I feel right. And I'm going to yeah. go out there and I'm not going to be encumbered by this. Like it, I can't sit here and tell you, I'm not a doctor or mm-hmm. orthopedic surgeon or anything could tell you anything about these ligaments <laughs> you just and whether it's the, articles, or yeah. whether it's the right thing to do for him to take off the brace at this point. But I think mentally it's the right thing. Like he was talking after game four and saying, I had no lift and I'm wearing the brace and this and that. And if it, what he needs to be his best right now is just to shed that and say, no excuses. Like it's, it's, he's it's almost like he's taking it out of his own mind. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's gone. I'm not using that anymore. I'm just, I'm Joel Embiid. I'm the MVP. I'm the guy I've been all year. If that's what it took and there's not like a ton of risk associated with it, then great. Whatever he needs to do to be in that state of mind, because clearly they're such a different team when he is aggressive and taking it to teams. And that can mean different things. Like I, I don't even think it was all scoring tonight for him. Like clearly the defensive stuff we talked about, but he made some great plays as a passer, you know, yep. pick and rolls with James where he's seeing somebody double him pretty quickly, turning and firing a pass out to a guy on the wing or in the corner. I just thought he played with a, I'm going to hit them first mentality. I thought the whole team did that. You certainly saw that with guys like PJ Tucker, who I wrote in the recap tonight. It feels like every play he makes is just a soul crushing play. Yeah. Like it, I would just, it would be so infuriating to play against that guy where you don't think he's doing all that much for a long period of time. And then right when it feels like you have momentum going, this guy comes through like three different people and pulls down an offensive rebound. They reset the possession. The other team scores, and you're like, "What the fuck, man? We're just never gonna, <laughs> never gonna go." Well, he on made the run a three tonight. Did. At one point, he made a big three. If I'm not mistaken, he at one point of the game, he drew an offensive foul on Jalen Brown. So you're right. Like there were just again, even though they were up big all game, there were five or six moments in the second half where it maybe got to like 11 or 14, and you're like, "Oh, They're like here you seesaw go. type moments." Yeah, yeah, and and each time they made the play. Uh, Toby sat for a lot of the second half, which I thought was interesting, but I thought he. That even was had foul his. trouble. He just couldn't stay out of foul trouble. Yeah. Right, I, so I will say, look, Melton played well for the most part, right? He had that big steal and he finished in uh, transition. So like he had his moments. I was a little disappointed in Doc that he sat Toby for that long for with four fouls when you're up that much already, right? Like you, ideally you're just killing minutes at that point. So I would have kept him in, but we've probably gone too long in this pod without talking about Tyrese Maxey. Um, what a game, man. Like, I don't know what he finished with. I saw you had 25 at some point midway through the fourth. I don't know if he got past 30, but it felt like every point he had was crucial, whether it was early in the game, helping them extend the lead, whether it was times in the second half where we were, in, like you just said, those seesaw moments where maybe it's 11 and Max hits a three to make it to 14 or he gets it back to 16. I There was a layup he had that was crucial. I just think what you're seeing with him is there are moments where he looks completely unafraid of it. And that doesn't mean he it's always like that because he's had bad moments of this series so far. Did he you was catch shooting. the, the shh? Yep, I saw Did that. Did yeah. the crowd in the fourth quarter? That was awesome. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. But, you know, it's just to go back to the confidence thing, when Maxie's playing with confidence, it's so fun to watch. And it's beautiful to watch. Like his shot just looks beautiful when it comes out of his hand. Like you can just see when he's coming down the court, He's going to shoot it. He had one heat check three that he didn't make, but I was perfectly fine with it. Like I thought he was 
he was unbelievable tonight um, in a game where everybody played well, but he really, really helped this team at crucial spots by being a big scorer. Uh, again, I'm going to use this, say this a lot tonight, but incredibly impressed with how he played. Well, and also like, that's what they need him to be if the Celtics are going to try to load up on Harden. And they yep. increasingly did that throughout the game. Like if if they send two at Harden, somebody else is going to have to make them pay. They're certainly not sending two at Harden and then abandoning Joel Embiid for open layups and dunks. So it's going to be one of Tobias, Tyrese, and you know, whoever the other guy, it's not PJ. We're not expecting him to uh, <laughs> break guys down off the dribble or anything. But it was gr- like Tyrese did everything we've seen him do all year that we just haven't seen him do against the Celtics found his groove as a shooter. He's making open catch and shoot jumpers, which that's been a struggle for him, which has been a big shocker this series. It's not like his shot quality has been bad. He did a better job of picking his spots, going to the rim, like missed a runner or two throughout the game, but by and large was not getting his shot packed by, you know, Robert Williams or Tatum or whoever else might help at the rim. I just thought that it looked like the game slowed down for him in this game compared to all the other ones. He wasn't trying to play at 150 miles an hour. He found that kind of middle ground where he could feel somebody out and then burst through space, Mm -hmm. slow it back down. He also just made some good passing reads too, where when he gets to the paint, but doesn't have the shot and sees, okay, if I recycle it here, that's still going to be a great thing for our offense that's the next level for Tyrese. Like he can score. I think we can all agree on that. We all know Tyrese is a big time scorer. The next level for him is how do I turn my scoring into a weapon for everybody else on the team? I thought he did a, a better version of that tonight. And I think because of that, the Celtics had to think about, okay, well, what if he hits that shooter? And there were more scoring opportunities for him tonight as a result of that. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. He had one of the silliest plays of the game where he just like, I think James Harden was tying his shoe. And so he gives it to Maxi and instead of dribbling it past the half court line and just setting up the offense, he just chucks it about five feet over Bede's head and Bede has to like swat I it away. I just rolled like my he, eyes when I saw yeah. that, man. That was Joel actually made like a kind of good play there. I know it turns into a turnover, but, but the volleyball spike break. to yeah. the moon essentially prevented Boston from uh, yeah, back to his, uh, two points or whatever. He's back to his volleyball days for uh, Joel. <laughs> um, so in terms of the players, I mean, I want to talk about Doc, but real quick, <laughs> the end of the game, man. So we have, you know, I think uh, efficiently praised this team for everything they've accomplished tonight. And I want to get into Doc. I want to get into game six, but just quickly, the ending of that game was, <laughs> was ridiculous. Like you knew they were going to win it and maybe it didn't matter. But it wasn't the backups in there doing that. Toby steps out of bounds. There's turnovers, like all these things. There was about one and a half or two minutes too many at the end of like, you guys just can't ever give us a fully good thing. There always has to be a minute or two. I just, I don't even pay attention to those moments at the end of games and NBA games. It's just so meaningless. Like watching 
fucking Peyton Pritchard make a three. <laughs> well, I'm like, telling you, who the hell cares, man? Like, look, they if make it another three. Closer, I, I, yeah. If it had gotten closer, I probably would be sitting here singing a different tune. But like, yeah, well, mean, one more three, and it, and it was right there. But um, what'd you think of Doc tonight? Um, we talked about him a little earlier, but I just wanted to circle back on him before we get to Game Six. Uh, some moments look like you said the Daniel House thing. Doc deserves credit for making that decision. Daniel House played well. There were times where he put in the lineup of Harden and all the backups. They won the first time they did that. And I'm almost positive they won the second time as well in terms of plus minus storing those minutes. Um, I mean, Doc is out coaching Joe Mazzulla in this series. hundred percent. I don't even think it's been that close either. Flat out doing it. Now, look, Joe Mazzulla is not Eric Spolstra. He is not, you know, like a seasoned accomplished coach, but he is a coach that coached the team to the second most wins in the NBA this year. And Doc is someone that very few people had faith in in this series. Still has to close it. Doc certainly has been part of some disappointing playoff losses where it's three to one and he doesn't finish it. So this is not over. But Doc deserves credit, in my opinion, for for this win tonight when his team went into Boston and thoroughly dominated Joe Mazzulla's team. So here's the number one thing for me with Doc. I think coming out of game four, obviously big emotional win. They only essentially played seven guys. Eight with Paul Reed, but he played like six minutes in that game. And because you win, you as a coach can sit there and say to yourself, well, I'm not going to change absolutely anything, right? Like end of the day. And I think that's what people expect from Doc Rivers. Win is a win. We're going to do what we did last game and we're not going to change anything. And he did the hard thing, which is to say, not only am I going to change something, I'm going to bring... Daniel House Jr. into the rotation after he has not played really at all in this series. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try something different. Like it's not that dramatically different, but it's different enough that it's like there are different lineup combinations and these guys have to figure out a different rhythm together and things of that nature. And for House to so seamlessly fit into what they did is a credit to House, number one. Like coming out of cold storage and immediately making an impact is really tough. And so props to him for staying ready, but props to Doc Rivers for keeping him and the team that he's being absorbed into ready. Like that's a tough thing to do five games into a series that we all kind of know what the matchups are and what the style is and all that. You also give Doc credit for, you know, recognizing how they're playing James and getting the ball to Tyrese more, taking more advantage of Tyrese on ball screens or on second side actions, however they need to get him going. He's done a lot of good stuff in this year. And mostly like what I would say is when they've lost games, I don't really point to much that Doc did that I was like, oh, well, he was the reason they lost. Like maybe he wasn't actively helping them, but there wasn't a decision or a move or a timeout or anything where I was sitting there and saying, well, Doc really screwed them there. And in the games they've won, I think he has made some additive moves, like made some important small tweaks, but still tweaks to get them going in the right direction. So again, it's it's like we've said all year. Like, do I think Doc is, you know, Red Auerbach or Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich? Greg Popovich. Or whoever. Yeah. yeah, I never want to bring that up because of the would you ask Pop that question. <laughs> um, so I try not to use his name going through the list of great coaches. Is he one of those guys? No, I don't think so. But if you're asking me if he's done a good job this season, yes. Is he doing yeah. a good job in this series? Yes. And this is the series that we were all waiting to judge him on, right? Everyone was like, yeah, they won 54 games and yeah, they swept the nets, but now it's time for him to prove it. 
Well, this is what he's doing. He's proving himself this deep into his coaching career with admittedly a very good team and a very good roster with the MVP of the league and Harden going crazy. But he's doing what needs to be done in order to put them in the best position to win this series. So game six, it is not over yet. They still have to win one more game to successfully exercise all the demons to get out the second round, to beat Boston, to be set up with an absolute cupcake Eastern Conference final against the Heat more than likely and potentially the Knicks. Like it's all there. It is all there. So let's briefly talk about game six. Just what are you feeling heading into it? What are your expectations? I mean, you have a private better read on this team in a lot of ways from being around them than, than a lot of people. What do you expect from them? Like, what do you, what do you what are your general thoughts on the game heading into Game Six? I'm going to tell you the same thing. You're going to hate it, but it's what I said after Game Four. Like, <laughs> maybe that's good in, luck. Then you go in blank slate. You can't say, "Hey, we threw a great punch in Game Five, and that means that Game Six is just ours. Like, we won. We broke their spirit. We did this. We did that. We've seen Boston pull themselves off the mat before in previous years." They will bounce back from awful performances very quickly. They might just get, you know, shooting variance is a thing. They might get up 53s next game, make a ton of them, and nothing else is going to matter. Like, they're that kind of team that when they run hot, they can run scorching hot. Like, Al Horford, as much as I have mocked him on this episode, is probably not going to shoot that poorly again. They will get something out of him, and they'll get more out of some of their role players. I, I just... What I would say on the positive front is that the Sixers have the tailwind behind them. They have a Mm -hmm. reason to show up and say, you know, Boston will be the quote unquote more desperate team, but the Sixers can end this. They can say this is the end of the series. The end of the road can be in Philadelphia and we can start preparing for an Eastern Conference final series where we would have home court advantage. Like that's the mentality that they will have to carry into game six. Joel clearly is feeling better, feeling good, has his legs under him. Tyrese now, he's got confidence that he can go out there and get 30 against these guys. They should be able to go out there and get this job done. There's no reason to screw around. There's no reason to take this opportunity lightly. And I think it'll say a lot about the maturity of this team if they're able to come in and you know deliver an early haymaker and maybe send Boston packing. I will also say, though, It might just be like, if you just look at the big picture of this season, the Sixers have been the better team from, you know, December onward, like for so long, we've talked about 2018 and the Ben Simmons Mm -hmm. series and 2020 and like all these things. And my message to a lot of Celtics people, honestly, not even Sixers people, it's like, these are two different teams that from then. And even last year, like the Celtics were sort of, a version of what the Sixers are doing now, right? They were bad to start the year. People wanted to fire the coach and everything's awful. And then the Celtics from January 1st onward were the best team in basketball, go to the NBA finals. They lose to the Warriors, but in hindsight, it was like, oh man, it was so obvious. We should have seen this coming. Well, the Sixers have been fucking great for, you know, since December 1st, they've been an awesome elite team. And so, yeah, this, performance is sort of surprising in the sense that it's not who they've been historically but it is who they've been for the vast majority of this season so i i have high expectations for them in game six i guess what what i would say heading into game six to any of the players that are listening i'm sure they're all listening knowing you host it like guys 
this is this is it. Like this is the moment, right? We have. I can speak for myself at WIP. Anytime anybody says anything good about this team, it's well, they haven't been out the second round. They haven't been out the second round. Joel shrinks when it matters. Like all the, years of it. You bring up 2018. It doesn't matter when discussing this team. But on on Thursday night, like the loss to the Hawks is going to be thought about. Joel crying after the Raptor series is going to be thought about. Harden playing poorly in past playoffs is going to be thought about. Doc blowing past playoffs. It's all there, right? All that, all that that they deal with all season, all like the lame people that brought it up when talking about Joel's MVP, all the people that couldn't enjoy this season because of those past things, you end that on Thursday. You get two chances to do it, but let's be real. You get Thursday night. You can, if you win, if you go there on Sunday and you win, obviously you do it then too. But Thursday night is the chance to come out and end it. Like end it guys, go out, get a big lead. Joel, you're healthy, you're playing well. James, you're playing well. You go out and play well Thursday night. No one talks about games two and three anymore. Joel, you go out and dominate. No one brings up those few possessions where Horford got you in game four, right? So this is their chance. Like, this is it, right? And I do believe that they are going to take advantage of it. I really do. I really think that this is a team that is, you said it perfectly, the tailwind is behind them. The momentum is there. They have it. It is right there to be to be taken. And I firmly believe that they are going to do it. So we will maybe record between now and then. We shall see. But if not, Kyle, man, we are one pot away from potentially doing an Eastern Conference uh, preview, Eastern Conference final preview pod. It's wild we're here. I don't want to say it's completely us for starting the pod and all of a sudden they might actually do it. But who knows? I mean, it's uh, it, it could be it. So do you have any other thoughts when we wrap this one up? No, man. Uh, my only other thought is the next time we record this podcast, my home office at our new place will be set up and nice. it'll be you know what a weight off my shoulders this moving stuff will be <laughs> moving is not fun let me tell you as someone that's done it multiple times it's never fun one quick thing i will say dude the owner of the phoenix suns if i was a fan of the phoenix suns i would be like sell the team you absolute coward like dude <laughs> Wait, come, what? where did this come yeah, from <laughs> yo i would be like they should be protesting outside of the stadium and saying Get out of here. You just came here and Jokic comes into the crowd, puts his hands on you. You have a chance to do what it mean. All right. Imagine if Jason Tatum went in the crowd, did whatever to, to Joshua Harris. And instead of trying to get him suspended, I mean, frankly, he, I think some Sixers fans would celebrate that. But yes, yeah, some Sixers fans would. For you, another know, day. you know what else they would celebrate? If Joshua Harris said, Hey, I'm going to work, get him suspended. Not if he tweeted out, who cares? Competition matters, blah, blah, blah. And then before the game today, he's joking with him about it. Like, bro, you are now. I can't get on board with this. You are now a competitive owner of the Suns. Get out of here with that. Like, I do not. I think it's the lamest thing. They're they're in a 2-2 playoff series. Like, get Jokic out of there. Yeah, man. And if Jokic got suspended over that, that would have been the lamest shit ever. Like, yeah, but winning wouldn't have been. But winning wouldn't have been. And all the Suns would have. All the Suns fans would have loved this guy if he got Jokic suspended. Right? If he tweeted, "Don't push me" after they suspended him, dude, he'd be a legend in that town. I just, I think it's the lamest thing I've seen an owner do in 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 a long time. And I think Suns fans should be absolutely livid at him. So. Well, instead of humoring your nonsense, I'm going to. <laughs> Adam's exploits said thank you to us. So I'm going to yes. say thank you right back to uh, all yes, the people thank- who tuned in for your awful take at the end of this podcast. That's what people tune in for, man. Um, so, yes, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Christopher, Dirty Phil, 
Jay, all these people that uh, came by and watched. It's awesome that you guys did this with us, Pastor Timothy. Um, hopefully, we do it again Thursday night, and hopefully we're once again talking about a really important and a really, really big win for Joel in the sector. So until next time, Kyle, this has been Clap Your Hands, and uh, talk to you next time. See you guys soon.